thanks to this week's podcast sponsor, PhotoFest, and their 2022 biennial If I Had a Hammer, which is opening September 24th and will be on view through November 6th in Houston, Texas. If I Had a Hammer considers the ways artists utilize images to explore the formation of historical narratives, political ideology, and agency. The artists featured in If I Had a Hammer question the role of images in the construction, depiction, reception, and repression of global social movements and political ideologies, and represent a diverse range of image makers, including photo documentarians, activists, research-based artists and collectives, filmmakers, performance artists, and artists working in social practice. Additionally, PhotoFest is presenting the exhibition's African Cosmologies Redux, which is an adaptation of the 2020 biennial, and 10 by 10 which features artists whose works are selected by a series of invited nominations as exceptional image-based portfolios presented during the 2020-2021 PhotoFest International Meeting Place Portfolio Review Programs. You don't want to miss it. For more information, visit photofest.org. That's F-O-T-O-F-E-S-T dot org. Hello and welcome to Art Dirt. This is the podcast where we talk about topical art topics. I'm William Serida. I'm Jessica Fuentes. And today we are going to follow up on a discussion we had in May about the rise of neural networks that are capable of producing nearly photorealistic images um, because of a debate that is happening as a result of an art competition in Colorado. Jason Allen of Pueblo, Colorado, which is where the Colorado State Fair is held annually, was recently awarded first prize in the digital art competition for the State Fair. He was awarded $300 for the prize, pretty straightforward State Fair competition stuff. And then after he posted the news to social media, it was revealed that he made the work using Midjourney and then later edited the work in Photoshop. The works on view included three pieces, which he admitted uh, individually with an $11 fee for each image. Um, He entered a prompt into Midjourney. William, before we jump in, can you tell us a little bit about what Midjourney is? It's something that I'm not very familiar with. Yeah, sure. That's a great question. Um, so actually, my friend recently showed me on his phone because he he's gotten into this as well. Um, Midjourney is an AI that's hosted on Discord, and Discord is one of the fastest growing chat applications on the internet. Midjourney works like the other prompt-based platforms that we have talked about. Um, in that episode we did back in May. So you type in a sentence, it outputs a range of images that it thinks represent what you're looking for, what you've given to it. Um, The only real difference here is that Midjourney being hosted on Discord, which is like a chat application that is growing in popularity because of its sort of scalability and use case, Um, NFT projects are very, very, very frequently 
hosted or headquartered on Discord. Um, so Discord is acting not just as a chat application, but actually as like almost like a project management software. It's like the program is hosted on the chat server. Um, it's a pretty interesting way to like not just build a community, but to like develop a product and then get people to use it. Um, Mid Journey costs $10 a month, which is a very smart business model. And then you pay that and you're able, you're able to use it. Um, and some of our listeners may recognize Texas artists have pretty quickly adopted this. Um, specifically Thor Johnson, North Texas located artist, and then also Joachim West, uh, who is in Houston and traditionally does graphite pencil drawings, kind of big, sprawling, odyssey-like uh, depictions of sometimes the collapse of civilization or violent scenes. So this application has grown in popularity pretty quickly. Um, and today we are just going to have a discussion about kind of like the pitfalls of this artwork winning first place at an art competition. Is it fair? Do we agree with it? Uh, does it kind of like present any emergent issues or problems at the intersection of like automation and art? And yeah, just see if we can kind of figure out where we stand on this topic. So let's jump right into, is it fair? Um, you mentioned that Jason Allen submitted his artwork in a digital art competition. To me, if it's a digital art competition, he used digital processes to create it, then yeah, absolutely. It's 100% fair. What do you think? Well, it's sure. I, I see what you mean, Jessica. Um, and when you put it that way, it's it's kind of hard to argue. It's like, okay, well, what's wrong with using digital tools in a digital art competition? Um, to dig into the specifics, uh, firstly, MidJourney and these AI tools, um, DALI, etc., are pretty new. So it's understandable that whatever like judging board whatever agency that's like running this competition uh probably has not had time to update its terms or like rules um secondly i get the sense from reading about this it was kind of a plotted stunt like he intentionally withheld information about the construction of the work um and then had like a big reveal online after he won. And I, I don't necessarily have distaste for that. I think it's relatively benign. Um, if the prize money had been larger or if there was like a social impact behind the mission of the competition, I would maybe feel like, you know, let's make sure that we're, we're equitably distributing this, this pot of money. Um, so I think that like it kind of reveals that maybe there should be a new category within art competitions like this that keep in mind 
that you're using an extremely powerful program um, to execute like the majority of the work. I think it's really interesting if you want to use mid-journey to create photorealistic or visually complex images and then you like take a slew of those images and then you start cutting and pasting and cropping and collaging. Um, I think that's an interesting use case where it's easily arguable that like the artist is actually doing a lot of the heavy lifting, the work, the editing. Um, Whereas if you generate an image and then stick it on the wall and then don't attribute any AI to it, that feels more like you're undercutting other artists. Maybe. What do you think? I don't know. It definitely gets kind of tricky um, because what does it mean to create art using this type of AI? Um, Did Jason Allen simply write a phrase into a program and then an image was produced? Um, If so, how is that different from text-based artwork? Um, How is that different from performance-based pieces that artists create, Yoko Ono comes to mind, um, where the text and the action is the artwork, um, although nothing is physically created by the artist. Um, And if Jason Allen did more than that, if he then edited the piece, which I believe he did, at what point is that editing it enough to make it his own versus make it something that's just created by an AI. I would like to just take a second to maybe describe um, what the work looks like. So it's a print on canvas of an image generated by the program. Um, Landscape orientation. It's kind of a backlit scene. There's a large Baroque looking arch open to the countryside in the distance. And then in the foreground, there's a handful of courtesans. They look perhaps to be female, wearing different colors of dress. Um, Kind of placid, kind of calm. So, and I just point this out because given with the rise of NFTs, we've seen a lot of images that are produced with automation assisting, uh, like the mixing of the assets. So Board Ape Yacht Club is a collection of like 10,000 apes and they've got different sunglasses and different mustaches. And there's been a lot of criticism that those images are very banal, unimaginative, not very attractive. Um, This looks like a more traditional classical art image. Um, and I just wonder if that factors in at all. Jessica, you also bring up, you know, kind of the critical through line of, like, everyone's going to use tools to make art. So which tools are, like, why do we get mad about certain kinds of tools? Um, Photography is a pretty fast way to get, like, a complete replica of reality around you. 
And that certainly had like implications when it was invented. Um, People assumed it would be the death of art because no one needed to produce it. You could simply make the shutter move and then you would have an image. Um, And I think this is similar, but the thing that comes to mind for me is that this medium of art is so new, it doesn't quite have like a history yet. Um, Painting and photography both have very large histories that as you're making paintings or photos, you can lean on to kind of figure out uh, if what you're doing is either like novel or different or classical. How long do you think it will take before AI images have a similar like body that resembles a lineage, a history, a co- like a context of its own. I don't know if I really have a definitive kind of answer for that, but I would hope that we would be able to pivot more quickly to understand and accept new technology as a way of working. You know, with photography, it took decades. It took quite a while before people really began to take it as a serious art form. And there is definitely that similarity between between people understanding that technology is more than a tool. It is a tool that just like a paintbrush that artists use to create to create work. Because we're talking about technology as a tool, but also to talk about like beyond a tool what makes it art, right? Um, If we're saying that um, conceptual art is art, right? Um, Like thinking like um, artist instructions on how to create something and then the artist never actually creates it themselves, right? Like if that is art, then how is the, how does this speak also to not just art and technology, but conceptual art? So I think that both the results of the competition and kind of just what we've been spitballing over here illustrates that prompt-based image generators are obviously a tool for creating visuals. But Jessica, is there something like inherent to these tools that kind of are their own medium? I think so. I mean, as a photographer, when I pick up the camera... I know that what I choose to capture and how I capture it, that is showing my perspective. So I would look at these types of AI tools in the same way, in the sense that what an artist types, writes, their ideation that they put into the tool is the basis of the artwork. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a very like philosophically interesting um, idea or topic because um, like paintbrushes are tools, cameras are tools, but they're not sentient. They're not like intelligent and, you know, maybe redirect me if I'm wrong, Jessica, but it's almost like what if your camera operated based on you talking to it and you said, camera, I want a picture of a mountain. Go take a picture of a mountain. And then it did that 
and then you were like, okay, when I tell it to take a picture of a mountain, it chose this one. And I, so I need to be more specific. Um, these image generators are like very sophisticated in terms of like understanding language. And so to your point, Jessica, there's actually a lot of room for the artist, the person inputting the prompt to really play with like um, both the syntax of what you want the machine to imagine and also figuring out like, what does the machine think that this specific thing looks like? Does it look like what I want it to look like or do I need to redirect it some more? Um, there's tons of creative room in there, I agree. I really think that as new tools are developed for the world and for technology and, and then are incorporated into art, um, it also just enables a whole other level of accessibility to the arts. When you said, for example, what if I could speak to my camera and say, take a picture of a mountain, that is in and of itself a certain type of accessibility because maybe I don't have the finances to fly to a mountain to go to a particular place that I would like to capture. Um, but if I speak it into reality, <laughs> um, then it breaks down some of those barriers. And that's just one way that tools like this could be used for accessibility reasons. And we touched on accessibility um, in the last episode where we discussed this as well. I believe that you kind of brought up that like in the reverse, this would also be super helpful if you could give the machine a picture and then it could say what's happening. Um, that has, you know, pretty obvious use cases for um, people that have certain disabilities um, or need certain kinds of assistance. And I feel like the commercial applications of this technology are so like mouthwateringly attractive to so many people that that's not exactly where the conversation is going right now. Like um, in what ways can we use a highly intelligent machine to like help us imagine or think of visual prompts? Um so like with Midjourney, you come up with the prompt and the machine does the representing, the the rendering. Um, but even just that simple setup is, I don't know, there's, there's lots of ways that you can use it besides being like, okay, I want to come up with some graphic posters for my Etsy store, but I don't want to design them. So I'm just going to like spend 10 minutes asking this machine to do it for me. And then I'm going to, you know, it's like there's other more interesting things that can happen. In my mind, AI wouldn't necessarily replace that type of human interaction of design. Um, thinking about my experience working with designers, it's so important to be able to be able to have conversations and go back and forth and work with somebody who truly understands like what your vision is in a way that I don't think AI could. And with that, we are gonna take a short break to announce this week's sponsor, and we'll be right back with more discussion.
This podcast is sponsored in part by the 2022 PhotoFest Biennial If I Had a Hammer, which will be on view from September 24th through November 26th in Houston. The exhibition considers how artists use images to explore concepts around the formation of historical narratives, politics, and agency, and how their works question the role of images in the construction, depiction, reception, and repression of global social movements and political ideologies. In this show are a diverse range of image makers, including photo documentarians, activists, research-based artists and collectives, filmmakers, performance artists, and artists working in social practice. Also on view during this year's biennial are two other exhibitions. African Cosmology's Redux, which is an adaptation and representation of the 2020 PhotoFest biennial, and 10 by 10 which is a show of works drawn from invited nominations from artist portfolios presented during the 2020-2021 International Meeting Place Portfolio Review Program. You definitely don't want to miss all of these exciting programs that PhotoFest has planned for this fall. For more information and to see a full calendar of events, visit photofest.org. That's F-O-T-O-F-E-S-T dot org. In the same kind of way, I recently saw on social media a Dallas-based artist, Erica Stevens, um, also have a similar kind of reaction to some of the hesitation that we're seeing about AI visualization. Yes, that's right. Jessica sent uh, over to me a screenshot of a comment, a post rather, that Erica Stevens made on Facebook. And as you said, Jessica Erica is a visual artist. She's an educator here in the Dallas area. Um, She has her own painting practice. She's exhibited locally in the past. And I just wanted to read this quote real quick um, because it it has a nice take to it. And Erica states, I don't fear the new AI visualization possibilities slash realities as a traditional media artist because I believe that once its newness wears off, it will make people crave a sense of authenticity and aura. Its emptiness is a boon for art. It may be bad for truth-telling in the world, but I think it bodes well for a desire for the handmade. And I just think that's like a pretty succinct way of... uh, respecting like the inevitability of this technology while also retaining a kind of human optimism about it. What do you think, Jessica? Yeah, I I definitely think that there is a world in which there's space for both types of art forms and art making and that by no means will traditional art be cast out in favor of something quicker and easier. I do want to point out that in Erica's post, she did mention the idea of truth telling and how these types of AI visualizations, as well as other technology that has been in the works, can make it difficult to know if an image 
is capturing a reality that actually exists or if it's a completely fabricated image. I think that like when this AI visualization technology really got like a lot of attention on social media in the past year, um, people were very quick to point that out, uh, and it, which is relevant. It's very important. But I think it's the same with perhaps the history of the camera and the internet. Um, there's this sort of arms race between the technology and the user. It's like if everyone collectively understands and knows that cameras exist, uh, AI blog writers exist, then every time you're looking at something, you can just keep in the back of your mind, like, there's a chance that this was assisted in some way, that this was this is not completely 100% um, representative of reality. Uh, so I, I agree with that. I think it's, you know, just something to remember. I, I just kind of appreciate Erica's... Um, the way she flips this and says that like the more ubiquitous that AI images become, the more that people will recognize a need for things that are also like imbued with humanity. Um, she kind of refers to this as authenticity and aura. And I, I like that description um, that maybe humans can kind of tell when something is not completely authentic, perhaps? The more that these types of technologies become available, that it pushes all of us to question and consider what we're looking at. I think the camera has given people the false sense that everything that is photographed is real when we know that even a hundred years ago, photographs were being edited either by rearranging items in the image to appear that things were a certain way when they weren't or through photo editing processes. And also like studio photography, right? I'm thinking of Victorian uh, ectoplasm photographs wherein like there's physical props that are placed on a person and then the studio is just kind of lit a certain way to make it kind of glow and be creepy. And um, because photography was so new, you couldn't expect the layperson to look at an image and understand like, oh, this is how a photograph is set up. The The images were sold as proof of ghosts. Um, and those were pretty cheap tricks, you know, like they're not that hard to pull off. And those things generally tend to fall away as time goes on. People come to realize like, oh yeah, that looks cool, but that's not real. Um, and people will almost certainly do that, like have that comprehension with this type of imaging as well. Um, but like for the art application, what that means is like perhaps for the next few years, people constantly questioning like, did you paint that? Or did a robot do it? Did you photograph that? Or did a robot do it? Um, Early on, we talked about how this artwork was entered into a digital art contest. And you also mentioned how perhaps because the technology is so new, um, the rules might not have necessarily 
addressed some of the issues related to AI created work. So I guess the question is like, how do we start to adjust the rules of competitions now that we are understanding the realities of new technology and new tools? Do you want to propose any rules? I kind of do. I want to hear yours. Um, Well, like we discussed uh, in the past, for the time being, I'm a proponent of mandating like watermarks that kind of announce in some way that like a machine was involved in the production of the image. I guess I would maybe just kind of require that declaration in order for like audience comprehension of the technology to to rise in these early days of this technology. I'm open to criticism, absolutely, but I would kind of petition for a separate category for the time being um, because I think there's definitely an argument that there's cases where it's not a fair competition to, like, have somebody do all of the labor of, like, producing a big photographic suite and then having a computer uh, just be able to imagine it on its own. I feel like those are maybe two different kinds of mediums that need to be judged separately. That's where I'm, that's where I'm leaning after reading about this story. Yeah, I, I, I could definitely see the need for having a separate category. And I'm kind of interested in, you know, what that starts to look like as we piece out um, what digital art is and what different kind of categories could come from that. You know, in preparation for this recording, Jessica, I followed your lead um, from Erica Stevens's post, and I contacted her to see if I could just get more of her opinions on this. And she felt generally positive. She felt like she was not worried um, or, you know, kind of like, wringing hands over like that the illustrators or the photographers of the world are being replaced by machines, um, which is refreshing. It's nice to hear that artists are kind of like rolling with the punches in terms of just how crazy things are getting (laughs) every year. So I just want to offer a secondary statement from Erica based on our conversation that we had, which is this uh, sentence from Erica. This is a new frontier between the visual and language. It's almost like this is the place where visual art and poetry are coming together. And I think that's actually very prescient and a cool way of thinking about it. We've talked about these AI programs for a little while, and I think we've made some headway. But one interesting take is that the medium is maybe more semantic or poetic than it is visual in a way. Um, that there's like a lot of poetic capability in this technology. And it's not just, we shouldn't just like get caught up in thinking about this as like a painting generator. Um, I don't know. It gives me a little bit of, it gives me a little bit of hope, I think. And with that, we thank you for listening to us today here on Art Dirt. We will be sure to link the past art dirt discussion on artificial images in the description of this post. And we'll also include some other relevant readings that we went through in preparation for this topic. If you would like, 
please check out our calendar listings for events across the state. Maybe go see if you can find some AI images on exhibit yourself and go see some art. Go see some art. This podcast was recorded by Glass Tire and edited by William Saradet. Copyright Glass Tire 2022.